If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 134 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This time around, we talk with Veronica Diaz, Director of Professional Learning at EDUCAUSE, the Association for Information Technology in Higher Education. In particular, we're going to talk to her about her organization's work in micro-credentials and mentoring. But before diving into the conversation with Veronica, we want to acknowledge our sponsor for the second quarter of 2018. Our sponsor this quarter is Review My LMS, which is a collaboration between our company, Tagoras, and 100 Reviews. As the name suggests, Review My LMS is a site where users can share and access reviews of learning management systems, and the focus is specifically on systems that are a good fit for learning businesses, meaning organizations that market and sell lifelong learning. Contribute a review and you get access to all existing and future reviews. There are already more than 100 on the site. And if you don't have a review to contribute, there's also a subscription option. For details, check out ReviewMyLMS.com. For our resource for this episode, we have a 15-minute video. We were very fortunate to have Veronica lead a session about EDUCAUSE's mentoring efforts as part of our 2018 Learning Technology Design Virtual Conference. So we're going to offer you access to the recording of the content pod that she shared at LTD. To get access to it, visit the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 134. Now, Salisa, we've, we've both had many exchanges with Veronica, uh, are always eager to find out what she's up to at EDUCAUSE. What can we expect from this conversation with her? Well, as you know, EDUCAUSE is known for being leading edge, but also very thoughtful in the education that it provides. And uh, we've been tracking them for several years, going back to when they first uh, began rolling out digital badges. Veronica's played a very hands-on role in both the planning and rollout of EDUCAUSE's micro-credentials and mentoring, both of which we delve into in some depth in our conversation. We also talk more broadly about the threats to and opportunities for learning and learning businesses today. Veronica's very knowledgeable, very thoughtful, and what she has to share from her experience offers food for thought and practical ideas to try for others of us working in learning businesses. Well, I'm always eager to hear what Veronica is up to, what Educause is up to. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and roll this interview. Hello out there. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today I'm talking with Veronica Diaz. Veronica is the Director of Professional Learning at EDUCAUSE, the Association for Information Technology in Higher Ed. And there she contributes to the strategic management of the organization's professional learning product portfolio. She directs EDUCAUSE's online programs. She supports face-to-face events and conferences and manages the EDUCAUSE micro-credentialing program and virtual and place-based mentoring programs, which are areas we'll dig into some in our conversation. But I'm going to pause here to say, Veronica, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you, Salisa. It's my pleasure to be here today. And so to to help us get started, I want to give you the chance to say a bit more about EDUCAUSE and what you do there. Sure. So I think you summed it up pretty nicely. What I will mention is that uh, some of the products that you you discussed there, specifically the online portfolio, 
um, the virtual mentoring and also the micro-credentialing portfolio that we have are pretty sizable. And so what I'll talk about today is both how to do these things at scale, but just to let folks know, obviously, any of these things can be uh, done at a smaller level if you have a smaller member community or just don't wish to do it at the you know, 10,000-foot level. Um, the portfolio does serve um, over 10,000 um, community members every year, and we have six different products. Products. Um, and the micro-credentialing portfolio, although it's pretty expansive, um, it does, uh, we have issued over a million badges this year. Wow. So both of those are, we have lots of experience there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's great. And, and actually, you know, so I've been keeping tabs on Educause for a few years now. And, and really, I first got sort of interested when Educause was rolling out um, micro-credentials um, and and like you said, you've already hit this big uh, milestone of, of a million issued. Um, but I'm thinking if we can back up a bit and maybe you can give listeners a, a kind of a brief history of the why and the what of Educause's micro-credentials. So, you know, what have you done and what are you doing with micro-credentials? And, and really, why did Educause want to get into micro-credentials in the first place? Yeah, so we started with micro-credentialing back in 2013 um, because it was... Um, something that we noticed was starting to slowly uh, take foot in higher education. And so we wanted to uh, do a few things. We wanted to give ourselves as an association um, the ability to advance professional learning after our community members complete formal education programs like degrees, you know, masters, even PhDs. And so there tends to be a gap. So when, you, you know, there's a gap between what you do after you finish those programs and your continued learning, your lifelong learning path as a member of a professional community. And also there are emerging topics that just aren't present in higher education right away. And so we need a way to kind of jump in and support our members in building their awareness of things that they need to know as professionals and then uh, developing their skills and competencies to be able to use that work um, to continue to advance their career. So that's one of the reasons that micro-credentials fit in so nicely for us. And it's because uh, in the past, like many associations, somebody would finish, you know, some of the work that they did with their association, a course or even an extended institute, and they'd get... Uh, you know, some kind of a plastic uh, trophy or a, a certificate that's just paper, and it just kind of sits in your office. But the micro-credential being digital gives people a real multidimensional way to share what they did um, with a broader community and to sort of document in, a, I guess, a richer way um, what, what they took part in and how they spent their time as a professional. So that's kind of the the why. So the the what is you know what what is our micro credentialing initiative really? Well, I think you can boil it down into a constellation or a framework, if you will, um, with four different categories. And this is a good starting point for anybody, really. Like you know, kind of put together the skeleton of what you think it's going to be. And so for us, that is a constellation that recognizes service to the community. It recognizes um, subject subject matter expertise development. So when you're learning new competencies and new skills, it recognizes achievement. So when we give an award, uh, something that's been you know vetted by the community or a committee, and someone is selected for achievement in their in their field as a professional, they receive a credential. 
And then also for a category that we call communication, which is when they're presenting for the community or delivering a uh, an institute or a course or something like that, we want to recognize that investment in time as well. It's kind of like thought leadership, and we want to make sure we we have a way to people for people to share that they've done those things. And so, when you're you're mentioning those four categories, did you back in 2013? Did you start with sort of uh, issuing micro credentials across all four of those categories, or did you um, focus on you know one or two to start with, and then sort of have built out the constellation over time? Yeah, we we started with kind of low hanging fruit, um, and I'll mention that uh, when we started, it was a pilot. It was with one of our communities only. We have about five or six different communities. And uh, we started mostly with those badges that recognize presenters. Mm-hmm. And um, we learned so much from that first year. And we did a lot of focus groups with the community afterwards to say, uh, did you like these? Did you notice that you got them? What did you do with them when you got them? Did you share them with your supervisor? Did you share them on Facebook, LinkedIn? Um, what did you not like about them? How can we create future digital badges that really are what you're looking for? Um, and you know, what we learned was that people don't like low hanging fruit. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that different from what you see in a formal higher education setting. They want, things that are a little exclusive. You know, you had to work hard to get it. You had to um, really demonstrate your competency. You had to be selected from a large pool of peers to present. So those all th- those things all gave us clues about what we had to say in our metadata to really show that, you know, this person stands out. Um, this person has either contributed a significant amount of time. They were selected among, you know, a pool of 500 presenters, Um, they, uh, received glowing marks on their presentation. So, or, you know, they were selected from a community of thousands by their peers to receive this award. So really showing that, that, um, you know, what's special about that achievement and, uh, things really took off after that. Well, so I'm, I'm curious too about kind of the, the outcomes and results that you're looking for with the micro credentials. And, And, you know, I think you've already sort of begun to talk about that somewhat. I mean, when you're talking about the why of kind of, you know, a better way of, of, of recognizing um, uh, uh, participation and achievement in certain ways um, that, you know, makes it more visible, more multidimensional. But, you know, what other um, results and outcomes maybe, you know, have you been after? And um, related to that, what are you doing about um, measurement and evaluation to see whether or not you're making um, progress towards those those results that you're after as an organization? Yeah, definitely. You know, I always say to people, it's not about the micro-credential, it's about the learning experience. Um, and so backtracking from there, what we see is, you know, what we want to get out of the micro-credential initiative and out of our learning experience in general is mapping to competencies. So finding out what are the competencies that our professionals need today and are we really having the right level of rigor and long-term development of that competency? What are all the experiences that we build that help people to to develop those skills and practice those skills? And so, um, you know, we're, we're looking at restructuring our badging to do that for us because our learning experiences haven't always been um, designed that way, but we're looking to do that more in the future. Um, one of the things that's really important to us in this initiative is to help our community demonstrate 
to their own communities, organizations, peers, future employers, that they are an active professional and a lifelong learner. And that, you know, that, that sounds simple, but not everybody is in this category, but the people who are really value these badges. Um, and they value their, their professional investment. And so this gives them a way to signal that um, in a way that they couldn't before. So when we look at the data, we look at um, of the badges that we've issued, how many people have accepted those badges? Because the badges initially are, uh, the default is for them to be sort of private, right? For many good, there's many good reasons for that. We want to leave it up to the recipient to turn it on and share it. So we look at that data, how many folks have interacted with the badge. In other words, you know, check the email, set up the badge account, shared it on LinkedIn, all of those things. And what we know is that we've issued 378 badges to date. And the badge activity, so anytime that anybody touches that badge, turns it on, shares it, uh, shares it on Facebook, where, whatever it might be, that badge activity level is at 1.2 million. So it's a pretty high level of activity. And we know that over 90% of our badge recipients share their badges on LinkedIn. And that's a, an ongoing area where there's a lot of evolution as well on LinkedIn and, and with micro-credentials in general, not just ours, but other corporate badges and all the organizations that are involved in badging. And so when you go to LinkedIn, it shows up under your credentials. And there somebody can click on that credential area and they'll be taken to all the badges that the individual earned. And there they will be able to see the evidence, um, the objectives that they've met, you know, as much as the issuer of the badge wants to say about what was accomplished. So there you see all the richness. So it, it's open to anybody that wants to go look and see what this person has been doing. So the signal of I'm an active professional, um, really interested in advancement and development is pretty strong for us. That's great. Uh, and yeah, and you've got the, the numbers to really back up the impact that you're having at this point, which is which is great. And because you do at this point have a number of years experience, you have that data behind you. you know, I'm wondering, what are some of the lessons that you've taken away from the experience? Uh, any words of advice or caution or exhortation that you might have for other organizations considering adding micro-credentials to their portfolio? Yeah, absolutely. We have learned a lot over the years. Um, so I've got seven things for you. <laughs> All right, great. So the first is start with a simple framework or constellation. Just kind of sketch out with what you've got today. Um, and that's sort of a, a, the second tip is don't build new learning initially for the badges. Let the badges follow your learning and accompany the learning, preferably something that's already established in your organization. Like you, if you look at the portfolio of associations, like they've got something, probably a lot of stuff that they've been doing. So start with your best designed learning experience that you have, where you have your objectives, where your community is pretty familiar with the offering, where the community participates in significant numbers in those offerings. Start with that and try to sketch out you know, a framework or constellation. Like I mentioned, we have those four areas. Try to see, you know, what, what are the natural divisions that emerge in your learning portfolio? The third thing I would suggest is badge design is very similar to instructional design. For those of us who have done any kind of learning design, it's very similar. So things like be clear on your learning objectives, the competencies that recipients are working on, all of that will be very important to articulate 
to the community as they're engaging with the badges, but also in the metadata. So the metadata is extremely important. That's another tip is metadata matters. And that's something that you should get feedback on from your community. Check in with them. What do they think about what you've written? Does it do the job? Are you being specific enough? Um, is that enough evidence for them to share with their peers and their employers? Another thing is education and communication. That is key because when you're doing something new, I mean, this is not different from any any other pilot that organizations may have done, but we had to do just as much internal communication to our staff as we did to our community members. Mm. So what is badging? What is digital badging? What is digital micro-credentialing? Why should you care? Who else is doing it? By now, you know, in 2013, there wasn't that much activity going on, but today you can point to Microsoft, you can point to, um, you know, human resources companies. I mean, there, there is a ton of activity going on in micro-credentialing today. So don't just share with them what associations are doing, but share with them what employers are doing. That will really help people to get it and to say, oh, okay, you know, this isn't some new fad. It's really the future of lifelong learning is incremental learning beyond formal education. And then related to, you know, education and communication is those focus groups and tell the community what you've learned in the process, because, you know, some organizations are doing it too. So there's a bit of a meta effect here. When we did it for our community, they were experimenting with us, that is the community community members were experimenting with us because they also wanted to try it locally with their own organizations. So think about your teaching them so that they can implement something like that if it makes sense for their own communities. Um, and then, you know, the, the two other things, one, make recipients earn their badges. They're going to value them more. So it's okay if it takes a while to get them. Some of our badges take uh, four, five, six weeks to earn. No, that's all right. So the last point is design matters. Um, and I want to emphasize too, if you don't have the internal expertise, uh, with your marketing team or graphics design folks to design a, a, a micro-credential, uh, the image and the iconography that goes behind that, look at hiring someone to do it, even on a short-term basis. We didn't have the expertise in-house and we're a fairly large organization. Um, these badges, the, the first thing that people will see is your brand and how you choose to display your brand in the badge is very important because the badges will carry the credibility that you have as an organization. So people always ask me, you know, why will anybody find these credible or, or, you know, what's the reputation that goes with the badge? Well, it's your reputation. Uh, Microsoft doesn't have to do much to sell their, their credentials because they have a reputation for that. And the same goes with these, these digital badges. So you may decide you want to display your, your logos prominently, or maybe not so much. Maybe you, you have another theme but really invest in that design piece. It'll, it'll matter in the long run. Well, those are great. I, I love that you know, you, you've thought these through. You have these seven um, tips for people that, that really sort of you know, range from that kind of um, having the, the framework, you know, really the, more at the conceptual level down to that, you know, get what the, the visual of the, of the credential looks like and that that's important. So thank you for that. Um, I, I'm thinking now let's, let's shift gears a little bit because one of the other initiatives that um, is going on at Educause that I want to talk about and that I know you're involved with is mentoring. Um, and so I'm, I'm thinking maybe similar to what we just did for micro-credentials, maybe you can give us a little bit of the why and the what of what Educause is doing with mentoring. 
Sure. So we've been doing mentoring um, both in face-to-face settings and for quite a while. But most recently, last year actually, we piloted a virtual mentoring program with the Pennsylvania State University. The face-to-face programs um, are, are pretty common out there. But I want to say that in general, our community has told us when we engage in professional learning with you or just with you as an association, um, the number one or number two thing we always hear from them that they want is networking and advancement support. And so that for that reason, we see our mentoring programs as a key feature in our learning programs. They, they go hand in hand and, and they're, they're critical to professional growth. And so we think that they not only support networking and advancement, but also career changes, advancement. Um, We find that they add value to our professional learning programs, whether they are face-to-face or online. Um, And then from an organizational perspective, you know, it really helps to build community and to boost communication. Um, And there's some synergy that happens across your learning programs when you have mentoring as part of it. So um, the the nice thing about the uh, virtual program is that we don't just serve a few folks there. We serve between 300 and 500 people a year, and we're able to do it on a very personalized uh, community level. So that's one of the benefits. The face-to-face programs tend to be a little bit more customized to the meeting or conference that we're at and a little more generic in nature, but the virtual programs can scale and they can also personalize in a way that the face-to-face programs cannot. So that's what we're really excited about in our mentoring these days. Well, so, you know, especially the virtual component of it, I know um, it is is newer. You said you were piloting it last year, so you don't have quite as much um, perhaps data and sort of experience with it as you do with the micro-credentialing. But, you know, what have you learned from the, the efforts to date so far any surprises that that challenged ideas or assumptions that you went in with? Yeah, so we asked folks to tell us what they're looking for in a mentoring relationship. And they said two things across the board. They want advice, so professional advice. And they also told us that their ideal mentoring relationship is from a manager or kind of a higher level, uh, you know, contributor to an individual contributor. So there you're seeing the more traditional uh, relationship. So uh, for advancement purposes and advice, but we also saw a lot of folks, and th- this speaks to, I think, changes in, in, in fields and you know employment and, and jobs and stuff that are happening nationally in many areas, that folks want peer-to-peer as well. And they want it because they need advice on a very specific area that maybe their formal education program didn't provide them because the field is changing. And so now they need to learn more about analytics, let's say. And so there they're looking for a peer possibly who's an expert in the area and they're looking for advice specific to that subject matter. So we, we saw a lot of those two things that folks were telling us that they wanted. And then the last thing is personalization. Um, not really looking for that generic type of relationship, but something that's personalized to them as the kind of professional that they are. So within our association, we serve... You know, if you look at it from a job title perspective, probably, I don't know, 50 to 60 job types. 
And so, you know, to the extent possible with the resources that are available, you can pick out maybe two or three of your top communities and develop mentoring specifically around those communities and job areas. And that's when I think you get some really powerful and and rewarding effects. That's great. I, I think that's really interesting, that idea of um, focus, uh, particularly if you're an organization of the size of Educause where you're not necessarily going to be uh, able to do it for all 50 to 60 job types, at least initially, but really so being focused so that you can give them that personalized experience that they're looking for. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I'll say is that um, virtual mentoring, you know, we don't have any uh, particular software to do this. When you go out and look at the software products for mentoring, you'll find that there are many and they're quite costly. But for the pilot, we did something pretty low low, low key where we had, um, you know, we used Google Hangouts, we used uh, Zoom, um, any, you know, virtual conferencing tool will work. The big part of the virtual mentoring is the matching. So to match at scale, that is where it becomes very challenging. And one of the reasons we engaged with Penn State was uh, to develop um, an, uh, an algorithm that would do sort of intelligent matching for us. And that that's the real big piece of it. Once you get that down and you train the algorithm to become effective at the matching process, then, uh, you know, sort of sky's the limit because the match is everything. And then after that, um, you just have to kind of check in with them. We have an associated uh, micro-credential that goes both with the advisory committee that manages our mentoring program and also that goes with the participants of the mentoring program. So we have a pretty structured uh, requirement list. And when they complete those and it's verified, we issue them a badge because th- this program is about five to six months long. Of course, participants have the option to continue afterwards and many do, but we want to recognize the investment they made in those six months and also, uh, put a kind of a spotlight on the artifacts that they developed and the problems that they solved. And so for that reason, we, we have an accompanying, uh, micro-credential with it. Well, that's great. So tying the two initiatives together, uh, back to the the algorithm that you've partnered with with Penn State on. Could you talk a little bit about the types of um, factors that you've um, determined are important in, in helping to match um, people for the mentoring opportunity? Yeah. So the Penn State program that we have, uh, the partnership is global. So there is a pretty robust uh, application process that our, you know, mentors and mentees go through where they tell us, do you want to be a mentor, a mentee? Uh, What are the professional areas that you are most interested in? So there's a kind of ranking and prioritization that goes on there. Um, We ask things about time zone, because if you're... Mm you know, in Japan and somebody is in the United States, well, you you might need to care about that. Um, We ask about um, whether or not they are looking for uh, someone who is senior to them, how much senior, things like that. And so the algorithm takes all of that into consideration and suggests uh, the, the most successful matches based on that. But you have to train it um, to kind of pay attention to the right things. And that takes, that takes quite a bit of data to do. Well, that's great. That's helpful because there's there's the the interest level uh, in terms of topics or areas of expertise, but then, like you said too, there's just the 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 nuts and bolts, the the practical. What time zone are you in, um, and uh, so that you guys can can match them with the right folks. I'm thinking maybe we can shift gears a little bit. We've been talking about a couple of um, initiatives 
that Educause is working on specifically. But I'm thinking, you know, obviously you've you've been working in um, the lifelong learning field for a number of years. And I just would like to get your perspective on what you see as some of the major opportunities and threats for Educause's professional uh, learning and as a provider of, of lifelong learning. You know, what do you see as kind of the forces that are, are shaping, um, you know, what you're going to be able to do in the future? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of competition for professional learners. Um, there are associations, obviously, corporations, higher education, um, LinkedIn. There's all kinds of little startups that are in the business of developing skills, verifying skills for employers. Uh, it, it's just amazing how much, uh, how many providers there are in that space as, a, as compared to 10 or 15 years ago. So there's a lot of competition. Um, I think we have a, a, a unique opportunity, though, having said all that, to offer a multi-dimensional kind of evidence-based learning experience to our communities because we can bring together many of those organizations in the work that we do. And so being a nonprofit, I think we have a responsibility, but also um, <clears throat> are a bit more um, seen a bit more as a friendly in that area, not not so much as a threat. So um, we have people that come and intersect through the associations. Um, to engage in learning who come from many different communities, not just the primary community that we serve, but other audiences as well. So we can form partnerships, like we have the partnership with Penn State, and there's partnerships with other associations to provide a, a fuller picture to the community member, uh, a richer uh, engagement opportunity. And so we should really take advantage of that, those collaborations that we can engage in at a higher level to serve the professional. So I think, I think that's where we have our unique value proposition. Yeah, that's great that while competition may be high, you may have an, an opportunity as sort of that, um, as the nonprofit, you know, to, to, to have um, partnerships to, to collaborate and so to be able to better serve uh, the learner while also continuing to support your own existence as an organization and the, and the value that you offer out there, which that seems like a great place to be. Yeah. So again, picking up even broader, even beyond um, um, what's going on at, at Educause, or at least this wouldn't necessarily have to be a, a response that, that is based on what you're doing at Educause, but kind of, you know, what's going on in learning that, that excites you? Um, it might be an initiative at Educause, or it might be some sort of broader, you know, trend or, or development that just kind of excites you as a, a lifelong learner and, a, and someone who watches um, the lifelong learning space. I think one of the things that, for me as a professional, um, both as a consumer and a producer of learning, I think is the rise and adoption of alternative credentials. I mean, something like 90% of higher education institutions today are offering alternative credentials. And, and that says a lot. I think that's very exciting for the associations as well, because they're, they're getting the kind of credibility and attention to really, uh, for us to develop kind of just-in-time uh, experiences that will serve our members quickly and in a way that matters to employers. I mean, that's the key. And I think employers are starting to have the tools to take advantage of those as well. And we're seeing a lot of developments through LinkedIn where, you know, they're looking at the, there's data and data collection and analysis tools that help employers look for those specific skills. But 
you know, we really have to move to kind of an evidence-based learning model where it's not enough to have the degree. We need to know much more about a person's uh, learning experience and their learning path to be able to understand what they're able to do and what they've done. And, and, you know, the learning experience is much richer than just taking a course. It's service, right? I mean, we've, we've known that for a long time in associations and it's about mentoring and, and all of those experiences where you're giving, you're really receiving a lot too. And with alternative credentials, I think we have a real opportunity to showcase all that informal and service learning in a way that will matter to the professional and to their employers as well. I mean, we're seeing uh, we're seeing that in, in not only in associations, but also in in, pri- in the private sector as well. Yeah, well, I think that that's an excellent point. That idea that you know the the learning that goes on is is well beyond often the kind of formally structured learning um, events and offerings that we have, which I think is a good segue into. Um, the next to last question I'll ask you, and this is a question that we ask of uh, all our, our podcast guests, and I just would like to hear about one of um, the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in um, as an adult, you know, since you've finished kind of your, your formal education or, you know, whatever uh, level of, of um, higher ed you got to. So what's happened since then that's really had an impact on you? So this is a little ironic because I'm very much in the virtual world when it comes to learning. But for me, and and maybe this really speaks to all of us too as a reminder that it's not all about online. But for me, my most powerful and rewarding experience was participating in a a two-week immersive institute programs for uh, professionals in higher education. And First, you know, that immersive piece of I'm there physically and I'm able to be there mentally was really powerful because uh, we have so much competing with us uh, for with our time and, you know, and, and it's hard to step away from your job for two weeks. So I, I realize that's not for everybody and not doable. But to me, that experience. So, so one of the things that was really unique about that experience is that um, we had presenters who came in, and these were very experienced senior executives, not just in higher education, but from other uh, industries and professions. And they came and talked to us about, you know, what's going on in the world of learning? What's going on in, in, in the private sector, in the economy? What should we be thinking about? And it really elevated our thinking to another level. And it reminds me that content is king. So no matter what your experience is, uh, nothing will ever replace a good presenter or a good facilitator or a good coach. And that, that is really key. And the other thing is that just as important as those facilitators and presenters was all the networking and social not work time that we had in those two weeks. Um, and so the importance of fun and learning and building those relationships, you can't build a relationship in, you know, an hour or two hours, but in two weeks, we had lifelong friendships that came out of that experience. And those relationships and friendships have supported that community of learners. There were about 50 of us for decades to come. Many of them now are senior executives themselves. So my two takeaways was content and networking is king. Um, and sometimes that requires immersion and time. And so for what it's worth, I, that, that's, that's what I always go back to in my, in my work. Well, and I think that echoes something you said in the 
seven tips you had about micro-credentials, that it's okay if it takes a while for them to, to earn that micro-credential, that sometimes we do have to put in the time to really get the, the big dividends out of uh, a learning experience. So final question is if uh, listeners want to know more about Educause, where should they go? And to the extent that you're open to it, how can they connect with you? Absolutely. So you can learn more about Educause at educause.edu. Um, that's E-D-U-C-A-U-S-E dot E-D-U. And you can look me up on LinkedIn. And if you connect with me, you can reach out and, and email me there. So I'm happy to, to share models and best practices and lessons. There's a lot more where this came from. So uh, I always have an open door and happy to share. Well, great. Thanks so much for sharing with us today, Veronica. I really enjoyed the conversation. Excellent. Thank you, Salisa. That wraps up our interview with Veronica Diaz. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 134. And while you're there, you'll be able to get access to the video of Veronica talking in more detail about Educause's mentoring efforts. While you're there at the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us get some data on the impact of what we're doing. As always, we'd also be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That'll put you in the right place. And, you know, Salisa and I personally appreciate your rating and reviews, but more importantly, the reviews and ratings play an important role in helping the podcast pop up to would-be listeners who are searching for content on learning and leading. So consider leading, leaving a rating and review today for the Leading Learning Podcast. We would also be grateful if you'd take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Review My LMS. Jeff and I put a lot of work into producing and delivering the Leading Learning Podcast. And one of the main reasons we're able to do that is because we're able to generate revenue through other sources like Review My LMS. So please check out ReviewMyLMS.com. And if you can, contribute a review to help others find the right platform for their needs. Last but certainly not least, please do consider telling others about the podcast. You can easily send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if that's not your thing, you can take the language there and put it into LinkedIn, Facebook, or you can just walk down the hall and tell somebody. But whatever you do, please help to spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.